Direct from Montreal, Canada, this is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Uh, joining me on the phone from great American band Grand Funk Railroad, it is drummer Don Brewer. And of course, we are here to talk about their new album. Or maybe not. Their last new album was in 1983, and as Don has clearly said, there is no need for the band to make new music because it is all about touring. And of course, uh, when you think touring, you think touring band, and they do have former Kiss guitarist Bruce Kulick in the band. It's been well over a decade, actually, almost 15 years, I guess, at this point. Anyway... I think as a fan, it probably would be nice to see Bruce Kulick lend his guitar skills to some new Grand Funk Railroad music. But of course, when you go out to a Grand Funk show, you want to hear We're an American Band and some of the other songs and hearing the words. And now from our new album, well, you probably would head over to the concessions and get another rack of ribs or whatever uh, whatever you're you're in the mood for anyway uh, let's not uh, go on uh, too much but all i can say is when you think great american bands you do of course think kiss and grand funk railroad and to have a member of kiss in grand funk railroad well that is just pure nirvana oh yeah <laughs> that band Ugh. Uh, anyway, without further ado, here is uh, the one, uh, the only, a uh, drummer extraordinaire, le seul et unique, Don Brewer. We are speaking with uh, Grand Funk Railroad's Don Brewer. The band heads out on their 2020 Some Kind of Wonderful Tour. Uh, as we say in Montreal, Don, uh, bonjour. Pleasure to speak with you. Thanks, Mitch. It's great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to kicking this tour off in Lincoln, Rhode Island, in February here, and uh, it's you know, we got we got another great year planned. We've been doing this uh, uh, with the guy, you know, the guys that we were just talking about, you know, Bruce Kulick and uh, Max Carl and uh, myself and Mel Shocker, and uh, and here we go again. Yeah, so so talk to me about what sort of keeps the band motivated. There hasn't been an album since the '80s in terms of studio recording. What sort of keeps the, the, the band fresh and, and the, the, the touring prospects fresh? Is it just the fact that you've got these new musicians that have come in over the years? Or is the music just so great that the fans smile on their faces, just enough motivation to say, yeah, we're going to do this? Well, yeah, I mean, playing live is what we've always been about, you know, and it, it, it still is what we're all, always about, you know. And, uh, and we, we get to work in some new stuff into the show when we want to. Uh, over the the past 20 years, I can't believe that this particular incarnation of Grand Funk has been touring now for 20 years. But that's uh, that's a fact, and uh, and uh, and we just we keep it going because it's it's a fun show, uh, and we we break it up and we put in a few new things here and there, you know. And, uh, and but you know, but we focus on doing the hits, you know, which is American Band and I'm Your Captain, Closer to Home, and some kind of wonderful. And of course, it's just always a treat to watch people in the audience uh, react to those songs you know and uh, it's great you know when i first saw you at the ottawa's blue fest about 10 12 years ago brought out my daughter we had a nice time with bruce cooler because i know bruce and i didn't realize as a, as a canadian guy how many great songs you had talk to me about the importance of having a great song and how it's been able to sort of sustain and propel you through 
you know, 50 years, 51 years of career. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, we came up, you know, in in the era of FM underground radio, you know, and, and we were allowed as artists back then, uh, coming out of the late 60s, early 70s, you know, you could create uh, music and you didn't have to, you know, put it in a little cube, you know, and say, oh, it's got to be this way, it's got to be that way. You know, so you could create a lot of great music and, and you knew that it would get played on some radio station someplace, you know, because it, it, as long as it was good, uh, it, it didn't necessarily have to meet some sort of criteria. Now, that came later in 72, you know, when uh, when all of the uh, the FM stations, you know, turned more commercial, you know, and of course, we followed that trend as well, uh, you know, with American Band and Locomotion and some kind of wonderful. But uh, I think the reason that there was not only us creating great music in the early 70s, but a lot in a lot of other bands, the music is still around today because uh, of that freedom that we had to create the to great music, you know, and, and it and it was all about feel and uh, it wasn't about click tracks and uh, about perfect recordings, you know, it was about a great song and a great performance. Okay, so let me ask you about then about click tracks and, and playing to tape. Uh, you know, a lot of bands these days do play to, to backing tracks. And in fact, I know a couple of bands where they even pump in crowd swell. Is that something that you've, <laughs> right? I mean, isn't that terrific to hear some crowd swell? Um, oh, yeah, I know. I was telling this story to Frank Marino the other day. I was over at his house, and he was just like, Mitch, you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> no, not actually pumping in crowd swell. I went, I went, yeah, Frank, they are. He goes, Ugh, the things have changed. But, but talk to me about that. Is that something Grand Funk does? And, and if so... Is it something that enhances a show? Is, is it cheating? How, how do you sort of take the whole, you know, uh, tapes thing? Yeah, I think it, I think it's gone a bit far with some of the some of the bands, you know. And they and I won't mention any names, but you know, we we play with a lot of different bands and a lot of the festivals and stuff, you know. And you see them carrying all of this, uh, you know, recording equipment, you know, that's backstage, you know. And, and you can tell that they're they're playing along to the tracks. You know, I, I'm not crazy about that. We we play live. You know, uh, we do. You know, have uh, you know some enhancement with some of the background vocal stuff. You know, but it's not a, not recorded. You know, it's it's just it's just better. You know, I, I'm still singing. Tim's still singing. Max is still singing. Bruce even sings along. You know, and we're we're singing the harmonies, and they're there. <laughs> you know, and so. Uh, yeah, playing along to tracks and stuff, you know, I mean, it's, I just, I don't personally think that's what people come to see a live show for is to hear, hear the recording, <laughs> you know, is that they, they come to a live show to hear a live show, you know, and that's what we do, you know, and, and, and that's what we focus on. Well, to be honest, I, I come sometimes for the mistakes or for the, the different version, you know, so the, to, to hear sure. American band done and whoops, Bruce missed a note. You go, ah, okay, it's live. Thank <laughs> God. You know, not that Bruce misses notes. Bruce never misses anything. Yeah, Bruce missed a note. You know, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> no, no, Bruce is perfect. He, he's like a, a machine on guitar. Let me, let me talk to you about Detroit and, and Michigan in the late 60s, early 70s, you have Amboy Dukes, Ted Nugent, which is part of Amboy Dukes, Mitch Ryder, MC5, yep. Alice yep. Cooper, Grand Funk. There was a time where Detroit was sort of the center of the rock and roll universe. Talk to me a little bit about that time, but also making your mark. Because when you have Mitch Ryder, when you have Amboy Dukes, when you have Alice Cooper, you have you have competition. So, so talk to me a little bit about that scene and... and rising above and being noticed and still being here all these years later. 
Yeah, it, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was just uh, doing another interview, and, and somebody, you know, a guy brought up that that whole thing, you know, about uh, what was the music scene like in, in the Detroit area, you know, and I, I told him, you know, the same story I'm going to tell you. We were kind of outside of it. Uh, we were we were the band from Flint, you know, uh, and it, it, all of these all of these bands, you know, from Detroit, Ann Arbor, you know, they they had the kind of a click thing going, and they were competing with each other, and they were doing this, and we, you know, we were this band from Flint, and we played all over the rest of the state. We didn't play around Detroit that much, and and all of these guys, you know, kind of looked at us like, you know, uh, you know, kind of the outsiders, you know, and and now I'm talking about when we were the pack, you know. And, uh, and we lit, we changed our name to Grand Funk Railroad in 1969, uh, went and, and got a, uh, a lucky break you know, to play the first Atlanta Pop Festival uh, and went down there and all of a sudden uh, took off, you know, playing through the South, uh, you know, Texas and Louisiana and uh, Georgia and all these places and took off, got a, signed a record contract, put out a record. Uh, all of a sudden, we're, we're like a, a, a pretty big hit you know, with on time and grand funk, you know, and all of a sudden, all of these bands in Michigan, go, Oh yeah, they're, <laughs> they're a Michigan band. You know, they're, they're one of us, you know, Oh, Oh really? You know, that, that's not the, that's not the story we heard before, you know, we were kind of, you know, pushed aside, you know, so it was, it was funny, you know, it, it, we were, we were totally on, on the outside of all that stuff. And, uh, and, and, you know, it, it's, it's fine. It came around, uh, came around well. Yeah, it came out or came around actually very great. <laughs> it came around uh, terrifically, I have to say. Um, yeah. Just uh, since you mentioned Flint, I, I want to ask you this, and it has nothing to do with rock and roll, but of course, uh, uh, Michael Moore made a movie, Roger and Me, years ago about the whole Flint situation. How how did you sort of react to that, and 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 seeing Flint sort of go from this great corporate crown? and sort of go into these rough times and fall apart. Was that something that you sort of stayed on top of, or once the band moved out and moved on, you just sort of went, eh, whatever. How, how do you sort of look at, at Flint in terms of a city over the last few years? Yeah, it's, you know, I think it's very tragic what happened in Flint, especially with the water, you know, but, but before the water situation that, that, uh, that happened a few years ago, uh, you know, all the factories and stuff, all the, the GM... Uh, and Fisher Body, and you know that whole thing, AC Spark Plug, and all you know that they were the ones that were uh, supporting Flint, you know, and all of the people that live there, you know, and all these families. And all of a sudden, they started shipping the jobs to uh, to Mexico and shipping them you know, out to to uh, non-union places, you know, and they were trying to bust the unions, and and it really it just it had a tragic effect on Flint. Um, you know, it put a lot of people into poverty and uh, a lot of homes. Uh, you know, just were abandoned and left, you know, and, uh, uh, it, it, it's, a, it, uh, you know, and I, I've known people that, you know, I, I still know people that live there. My family, um, my sister lived up there for years and my nephew still lives there. So, you know, you see, you, you see this stuff and, um, you know, we, we get through there every now and then it, it still is amazing to me that Flint has, uh, has survived. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the leaving of, of General Motors, you know, I mean, they, they basically, they pretty much moved out of there now. And, uh, uh, but, you know, but Flint has survived, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's tough. You know, it's been a tough, a tough transition for that town. It's been an incredibly tough, uh, tough transition. Uh, and speaking of Flint in, uh, somewhere in the late seventies, you had a band called Flint. You made an album called, uh, Flint. Um, Flint. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about that. You know, it appeared, you know, five, six years into Grand Funk that the band breaks up and you're like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to go start something new. 
talk to me about sort of the challenges of starting something new and then saying, ooh, okay, this is not working. Let's go back to the brand because Grand Funk is a brand, and let's resurrect that back somewhere around early 80, 81. Talk to me about trying to start off a new project away from Grand Funk. It was, it was challenging. You know, we, we didn't intend to. Mel, Mel and I uh, put together the band Flint with Craig Frost. You know, Craig was the keyboard player for a few years in, in Grand Funk, and we, uh, we put together this band you know, kind of like because we we were looking for something to do. So we went over to Mel's house and started jamming. And all of a sudden, we started writing these songs and going, oh, man, you know, that's not bad. Oh, how about that? That's not bad. And we uh, and so we just kind of, you know, put put a, a, a tape together and uh, shopped it around. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, CBS was uh, was interested in it, Sony. Uh, and uh, it was like, oh, my God, you know, they want us to go on the road, you know, and it was like, oh. Oh, really? So, so we didn't even have a name for the band at the time, you know, so it was like kind of like threw this band together and went on the road and we, we told our, the agents, we don't want people to, you know, to, to expect to see Grand Funk. So, you you know, don't tell people that this is like, you know, former members of Grand Funk. We're just going to go out as the band Flint, you know, well, nobody knew who Flint was. And so uh, <laughs> it was very difficult to go out and play, you know, some clubs and stuff, you know, and nobody, nobody knew who we were. Uh, which is what we wanted, you know, <laughs> we wanted to make it on our own, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, so yeah, it just, uh, it, it kind of fizzled out pretty quick. And, uh, you know, we didn't go back to the band grand funk until somebody started knocking on our door going, you know, Hey, uh, you know, bands are getting back together. This is the early eighties, you know, and, uh, you guys, you guys should go back out on the road, you know, well, uh, you know, we put together uh, grand funk again and then Mel decided he didn't want to go out again. Uh, so we had to get a different bass player and, uh, that didn't, you know, work as well either. You know, once we, we went out, we did, uh, we did a couple of years, uh, you know, with, uh, Dennis Bellinger on bass, you know, and, and Mark Farner and myself. And it just kind of, you know, I, I think it was too early for Grand Funk to be resurrected in the early eighties. You know, it just, it was, it was just, uh, too, too early of a time. And, uh, so that didn't work either. <laughs> yeah, the, the reunion tour needed a little more seasoning. All right, so let me ask you quickly about uh, Max, Carl, and Bruce. Let me bring it back to 2020. Um, sure. Y- you pick up Bruce, of course, from coming out of Kiss. You know, Kiss goes on a reunion tour and a farewell tour, and they've got Peter Chris and Ace Fraley back. And Bruce is, whoops, okay, I need a gig. And you get Bruce. Talk to me about you making the decision to to bring him in, because he is a very precise, hard rock, heavy metal guitarist which is sort of outside of what grand funk does was that a chance you took was it hey he's he was in kiss this is going to be good for the bottom line so talk to me a little bit about the decision and then of course how he's fit in for 20 years well you know it's uh i don't know if you're if you're familiar with all the other stuff that bruce has done in his career you know i mean of course meatloaf he played you know you know he 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 actually you know we've looked at videos of bruce playing in a disco band you know uh bruce is a very capable guitar player you know he he doesn't just play you know the heavy metal stuff the hard rock stuff you know he he plays you know he plays basically anything he wants to uh and that's you know that was the reason that i uh you know i met bruce first when i was playing in bob seeger and the silver bullet band in the in the 80s and bruce was playing with michael bolton uh and uh, michael bolton was the opening act on that bob seeger tour you know and that's that's where i first met bruce and that's where we uh we developed a friendship you know and so 
when this particular situation came up where uh, Mel and I were looking to uh, put together a new rendition of Grand Funk, uh, yeah, I looked up Bruce on the internet to see what he was doing, and he, and he had just finished up with a, uh, a band called Union, and so it kind of looked to me like he was kind of in between. You know, it wasn't like, you know, uh, doing anything particular. And, and I contacted him then to see if he was interested in working on uh, a, a new uh, a new rendition, a new a new tale of Grand Funk Railroad. You know, and, and of course he was. And that's when we flew him up to Traverse City. And, uh, uh, you know, we got with Max Carl, uh, formerly a 38 Special, you know, to, to sing some lead stuff with us. And uh, and we put together this new band. And, uh, that, and, of course, the new band is Grand Funk Railroad. You know, there you go. Yeah, and it sounds great. Listen, yeah. I've seen a couple of shows, and it's a great time. I know fans love to complain and go, oh, original members. It's like, you know what? You go there for the spirit. You go there for the songs. Stop with the other stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and and let's be real. You know how many how many how many bands have the, the original members today? Well, well, not many. And and in fact, you know, uh, <laughs> no, but but not I many. Th- I can't think of any. I can't. I can't. I can't think of any. Yeah. I, I don't. I, I can't think of it. And I, as a matter of fact, I know. I know bands that have nobody left. You know, in from the original band. You know. So, I.e. Foreigner. Foreigner from from time to time. Guess who, you know. Yeah. Huh? Well, yeah, Foreigner, Guess Who, um, Quiet Riot doesn't have any original members. They they have members from the classic lineup, but not originals, and... Yeah, I think that stuff is is somewhat overrated, and so it's going to get me to this this other question down the line here. But let me just quickly ask you about Mark, uh, Mark, sorry, Max, Carl. I'll take a detour there. He, of course, like Bruce, comes from something that is not sort of in the grand funk style. Thirty eight special, more southern rock, more I don't want to say hillbilly because that's that's rude, but you know it's more southern rock. Um, talk to me about getting that voice in because the voice of a band is very, very identifiable. You think Aerosmith right away, Steven Tyler. You think Guns N' Roses right away, Axl Rose. Um, talk to me about getting that different sort of timber into the band and what does Max bring to it? Because the show I saw, again, effing spectacular. Yeah, Max is, uh, you know, Max is, is more than just the thing. Max was actually a replacement guy for 38 Special. He replaced Don Barnes when uh, when Don Barnes left the band, you know, so they brought Max in to do the 38 Special. And, of course, they had one of the biggest hits they ever had, Second Chance, which is, uh, you know, that's Max singing that. Um, but uh, Max was from a band called Jack Mack and the Heart Attack. Uh, and, you know, probably one of the greatest, you know, soul bands uh, out there ever, you know, from the 80s, you know, and... Uh, and when I was looking for a singer for Grand Funk, uh, you know, Max's name came up, uh, you know, through a friend of mine uh, that worked for PV Drums. You know, PV used to make drums, and I, I knew this guy, and he, he introduced me to Max. And I started listening to Max's stuff, you know, Big Dance, and uh, Jack Mack and the Heart Attack, and all this stuff. And I went, you know, Max is, you know, probably one of the last blue-eyed soul singers on the planet, and that's perfect for Grand Funk, you know, because I know a lot of people thought, you know, that Grand Funk was this this heavy uh, you know, hard rock band, you know, and, and we did do a lot of that, but if you listen to the vocals and listen to the material and all that stuff, uh, we're basically an R and B band that's pumped up on steroids, you know, and, um, and that, that's what we need for a singer is an R and B guy. And, uh, and Max is just a perfect fit for that. He really is. Yeah. He, he delivers the goods. So, all right. Let me ask you, you you've been, yeah. you've been the one constant member of the band over these 50, some 50 plus years. And and we did mention Foreigner, and the first three times I saw Foreigner, 
there was no Mick Jones. I saw the band with all the replacements, and I have to say, it was great. They, the song sounded no, they, great. They, it was a they, fun they, night. So, yeah. Do you see yourself at some point moving to that? I mean, does Grand Funk Railroad end in five years, or does Grand Funk Railroad go on for another 55 years, and it's just other people carrying on the <laughs> Another band? 55 years was different. You know, I have no idea. You know, I mean, uh, we, we haven't really planned for that contingency <laughs> to happen. Uh, you know, so I don't know. Uh, I really don't know what, what, what that's going to be. I I can't. Personally, I can't foresee a Grand Funk Railroad out there with no original members. Uh, but, you know, certainly in this day and age, you know, anything is possible, isn't it? It's very possible. And, and listen, as you get older, and of course it's not to be disrespectful, but, you know, doing this at 76, 77, 78 could be very difficult. Do you do you at some point say to Bruce and Max and, and Tim, hey guys, listen, <laughs> carry on and do sort of like Mick Jones, show up once every five shows, show up or is it really, if there's no Don, there's no band, end of story, move on to the next question? Yeah, you know, geez, I, I have no idea. That You know, that's certainly something for our uh, our next uh, corporate meeting, you know. <laughs> I can just see that. I was talking to this guy, Mitch, and he said that we should put this on our on our, on our, on our uh, agenda today. Let's, so let's have this yeah, discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to, yeah. We have to run that one by the attorneys, you know. <laughs> well, listen, uh, obviously, uh, with Foreigner and other bands doing it, it is very doable and very possible, but there is that, oh, if your Don's not there. Oh. Um, before we, we wrap up, let me just quickly ask you about this, uh, the live album, uh, brilliantly titled The Live which, Album. Which one? There's two, there's two of them. There. The, the first one. The act and there was, yeah, the first one. Yeah, the, yeah. the, 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 the original one, the first one. Uh, Talk to me about the importance of that, because you look at MC5, you look at that, you look at Kiss Alive. There were a lot of bands where fans just did, sort of didn't understand what was going on with the studio albums, and then they put out live albums, and all of a sudden, it's like, ah, you know, ep- epiphany. I get it. Right? Yeah. Uh, we, we, were, we were never, you know, especially the first couple of albums, you know, it was always, it was always a strain for us, uh, <clears throat> to take what we did live, go into a studio and have an engineer and a, and a producer and everybody, you know, all you can't have any echo. You can't, ha- you, you know, no, no EQ. Uh, you can't play that loud. You know, can't, you can't do it. You got to, and you have to do all these constraints, you know, to, to get it recorded, you know, because when we first started in 1969, you know, when we first uh, put out on time and, and grand Funk, we were going down to Cleveland recording and, uh, it was it was the very early days of rock bands, you know, uh, you know, cutting loose in the studio, and uh, and they they really didn't know how to do it that well, you know. I mean, it it changed later, uh, you know. That was one of the reasons we enlisted Todd Rundgren to help us, you know, when we uh, after we got rid of Terry Knight, uh, is that we needed to, to to be comfortable in the studio and and get with the times, you know. And so it was very difficult to, to, you know, we were never satisfied with what we did in the studio, but when we did live, oh, we, you know, that was us. <laughs> that's who we are, you know? And when we put that live album out, that's what everybody understood at that, at that particular time was, holy crap, check this band out, you know? Uh, it, it was just like totally unrestrained. And, uh, and, and you, it was all about feel and all about the moment, you know? And uh, great. It, Great recording. 
It really was. It was a great recording. Great recording. Now, and I'll just ask yeah. you this because I know about live albums sometimes, but was it a, a live, live, live album or was it sort of comped together with, with a little bit of studio magic? 100% live. There you yeah. go. It That's was, what I want to yeah, hear. There was nothing. You know, we did three, we, uh, we recorded three shows and, uh, and we took the best performances from those three shows. And but there was no no overdubs, nothing, no vocals, no guitar, no nothing. It was one hundred percent the real deal. And and it's amazing that it's it is now in in twenty twenty fifty years old. So hey, right, it's <laughs> yeah. fifty years old yeah. this year. It's unbelievable, unbelievable to think about that. Um, and and I'll just finish with this. Uh, What's funk is of course the last studio album from nineteen eighty three, which has been. I'm not even going to do the math because I can't think that fast, but talk to me about about the importance of making new music because obviously it hasn't hindered the band at all, and yet I talk to other musicians and they say, oh, I don't care about, uh, you know, touring and this. I need to be creative. I need to, to, I have stories in my head that I've got to tell. How does that sort of balance out for you in terms of needing to be creative, but it's not really necessary to keep the band functioning as a touring entity? Yeah, the, you know, the whole thing is, you know, now, now that we're into the download territory and, and now even take, take it a step further streaming, you know, it's just um, it's just a whole different world out there. You know, it's not like going into the studio and recording an album and putting it out, and, you know, and you're going to, you know, sell X, X number of units and uh, make so much money and stuff. You know, every, everything basically is, is being given away these days. Uh, and we focus on live performances. That's that's our that's our deal. Uh, and that's, that's what we love doing. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, for the create, from the creative end of it, we work in new stuff into the show. And over the, the past 20 years, we've had tons of new material come and go in the show. You know, we'll do, do a certain show one year, you know, that has uh, these particular songs added into mixed in with our hits, you know, uh, and then the next year, you know, that one song will pull out and we'll pull in another new song, you know, so, uh, that's where we get the creativity. And I, and I love to, I don't like to overdo new stuff in, in live performances. I just like to test it out, you know, and see how it goes. And, uh, and we've got some great stuff. Uh, and we, you know, just, and it's all roadworthy, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it goes over well in a, in a live situation. So, uh, uh, that's how I like to do live material. Well, listen, it's working out. The band keeps touring and touring yeah. and touring and, uh, hopefully, uh, because the last live album was out in 2002, hopefully there will be sort of a 50th or 51st anniversary live celebration. Because as a fan, I would love to have Bruce Kulick on an official Grand Funk Railroad album. So I'm just throwing that out there. Another point for your next meeting. <laughs> I'm going to chair your next uh, meeting, is, I think. Is, is Bruce, is Bruce, Bruce must be paying you. <laughs> yes, Bruce, Bruce is paying you. No, but, and I'm going to chair that next meeting. So I have now officially bequeathed the, uh, the, uh, the name to him to, to go on for another 20 years. And I've, uh, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. But anyway, uh, the, uh, some kind of wonderful tour does kick off on uh, February 8th and uh, goes all the way until, well, let me see here. If I scroll down to October, there you go. A lot of dates and, uh, hopefully. Yeah, actually, but I think we've got a date, uh, look at my calendar here. We got a date out in November so far too. So yeah, it, it, it's going to go the whole year. Oh, that is terrific. And hopefully we will see you somewhere near Montreal and, and I'll come out and check out the band again. Cause it's always, always a great time. The songs just resonate. And as we say here, uh, merci. Thank you. Ah, oh, great, Mitch. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. Cheers now. 
This has been Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. For more exclusive content and interviews, subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and many more. Follow Mitch on all the socials, especially Twitter, at Mitch LaFon, and on Instagram, at Mitch underscore LaFon. Get your Mitch merch now at loudtracks.com slash Mitch.